Love him or hate him, you can't live without him. Jim Chapman on 94.9 FM CHRW. And our program continues this morning. Joining me in the studio, as they do most Wednesdays, Jeff Schlemmer, a, a local lawyer and community activist, and slightly to the left of Karl Marx, and uh, Bob Metz, who is uh, also a community activist involved with the Freedom Party, and slightly to the right of Attila the Hun. And no, I'm, just, I'm, I'm making both of those up. But we do call the program Left, Right, and Center because uh, differing political philosophies come into play when we get together and have our discussions. Um, although, interestingly enough, uh, people do move around those polls depending on what the topic is, and I think that's what makes it interesting. That's why I always enjoy having these two guests with us in the studio, and obviously you do too because we get a lot of mail about this. Guys, I want to ask you today about the state of politics, and I don't mean the state of the parties, but politics and people's involvement, because something's happened in our city in the last couple of days um, that, that has, I think, sort of awakened a whole lot of people, uh, made them perhaps take a little closer look at politics than they had, and that was the arrival in town yesterday of Diane Haskett. We announced on the program yesterday morning that she was coming back to seek the nomination, and later in the day that was confirmed. Uh, to seek the nomination for the Conservative Party in London North Centre. To me, the story is less about what party it is or even what riding it is than here's a, uh, an individual who was uh, galvanic in our community, who really who polarized people, who inspired many people, who got a lot of people involved in the political process that maybe hadn't been before. Um, somebody who stepped away from an election campaign altogether and and beat her opponent by a two-to-one margin still, even though she didn't campaign. And on an issue that I don't think... I don't think everybody who voted for her necessarily agreed with her on the issue, but a lot of people respected the fact that she had taken a position. This is my analysis of what happened. In any case, she's back on the scene, and and the town is abuzz, as they say this morning. Um Personally, I'd like to see more buzz about things political. The only other buzz we've had in the last quite some time was Joe Fontana deciding to run for mayor, and that was a buzz, but it's turned into a bit more of a fizz. We haven't seen the kind of of uh, knockdown nose-to-nose race that many people thought, although we may see it yet. And now Diane has stepped into here. Um, if we look at voter apathy, which is a big problem in municipal politics, and indeed at every level, and try to find ways to change that apathy, it seems to me one of the ways you do it is by attracting high-profile individuals to run. We've not always done that in this city, and if the conservatives do select Diane, I don't think you can argue that she's not high-profile. What else can we do to get people more interested in participating in the process how do we get people more interested in politics which ultimately is all about the way we live well one thing that i think we don't do and has happened in the last week or two is that uh, we've seen substantial cuts at the london free press around other uh, reporter coverage and uh, and editorial coverage which which is too bad because i think that uh, it makes it that much harder to to tell what's going on around this kind of stuff but i think that the cult of personality is important i think that we like to be led by leaders who have charisma and uh, who we see as being somehow larger than life and diane certainly is that as joe is in many ways as well so i think that there's an element of almost entertainment to that we we want to watch these folks cuz we want to see what they're going to do is like mel lastman um so that that piques interest in a society where there are so many things that 
competing for our interest in the media, in the television, reality, TV, you name it. Uh, I've, I've said from time to time, I think that if you come out and vote, you should get a lottery ticket at the very least. There should be something to show for your efforts, and I'm only half joking about that. I, well, they're I doing a lottery in Arizona. That uh, somebody in, I'm sure it's Arizona, we did the story a few months ago, that in the election that's coming up now, there's a referendum on the uh, on the ballot in the state of Arizona that says that uh, somebody is going to win. They don't get a ticket. They actually win, and I believe it's a million dollars. One of the voters will win a million dollars, and it's retroactive. So if it's if it's approved by the voters in November, one of the voters in November will get the million bucks. Well, and I think that, you know, one thing that politics, aside from the politicians and running for office, the political process is, is kind of dry and boring and staid and all that stuff. And in some respects, I suppose we could learn from marketers, uh, uh, the, the folks who are able to sell us Coca-Cola and all that kind of stuff. How do we sell the democratic process? How do we sell the idea that you actually do have a stake in this? Because I, I think that the reason most people don't vote is because they think it won't make a difference. And we know that most elections are fairly close. Uh, look at the uh, Republicans and Democrats in the United States. Mm-hmm. That uh, It's the swing vote that carries it every time. So it's the folks who don't come out and vote who would make all the difference. But somehow you can't get that through to them. That assumes you think that the Republicans and Democrats oh, sure. are different from oh, each sure. other, no which question about I that. do not. <laughs> I was watching the new head of the Green Party last night on uh, Rick Mercer's show uh, Rick had her cut down a tree with a chainsaw, and uh, that kind of thing is good, too, I think. You know, I saw that last night, and I thought that was either the biggest mistake she could have made or an absolutely brilliant piece of theater. And the more I watched it, the more I became convinced it was a brilliant piece of theater on her part. She was uh, uh, Elizabeth May, is that her name? I think so. Uh, engaging. Um, obviously, as a sense of humor about herself and yeah. about what she's trying to do, but got her got her points into you know sneak them past Mercer's jokes. I was hugely impressed with uh, w- with her in that sense. And if we had more politicians, not sort of pandering like Richard Nixon going on laughing and sock it to me as he did, not that kind of thing. But politicians who are willing to step out. Turn the camera on, and I'll show you who I really am. I, I think she probably built a lot of support for herself last night. Well, and that's one of the, uh, the paradoxes of spin doctors, of course, is that we think of these high-paid media consultants as having the job of preventing people from finding out who the politician really is, that they have to spin everything. Everything that comes out, there has to be an angle to it. Uh, and yet, it would seem to make sense to me that if they could get away from the spin doctors to some extent, and as you say, come out and tell us who they are. Like Diane Haskett is a perfect example of somebody whose who's, uh, politics with respect to equity, I'm dead set against, but I just love her to death personally. And the more people see her, she's a hard person not to like. Mm-hmm. She's just so engaging and nice and vibrant and, and, and uh, competent too. I recall that she was the youngest graduate ever from the law school at Western. Uh, and at the same time she was going to law school, she was a top salesperson at Toyota Town, like a very accomplished person. And the more people see of that, I think the more attractive she is, uh, in spite of the politics. Bob, what about uh, from your point of view? You mentioned the, earlier that the, you don't see the substantive differences between the parties, and we've talked about that before. But how would you engage people to share your point of view? How do we get people to pay more attention to what's going on? Um, you know, I wonder what problem you're trying to address. Uh, you say you, you want more people to participate in politics. By that, I think you're meaning you want more people to vote during election no, time? No, if you're asking me or personally, no. It's not the number of votes, it's the that? quality of voters. I think uh, that our society would be better served by having more informed people involved in the process. Well, look at our municipal election right now. You've got a choice, essentially, between Fontana and DeSico Best. 
two liberals, two peas in the pod, two of the same choices. That's well, why I don't, there's, think, I don't, I don't think they are. I don't think they are at all. I think um, they're, I think they're quite a bit different. I think putting the Liberal Party banner on, uh, hanging it on either one of them, is making a mistake. I didn't say I think, party. I, I but mean, but uh, I think their view of what the city needs to do is, is, to my mind, to my viewpoint, there are quite radical differences between them. And what do you see as those differences, and how will it make a difference to me as a property owner or taxpayer? Um, it will depend on how the rest of the council is made up and how many people are paying attention, equal attention, to the platforms and to the personalities in the wards and for board of Okay, control. which of the candidates is going to lower my taxes? Neither one of them. There you go. I have nobody to vote for. Is that your only issue? That's my only issue. Your only you know, issue. Jeff, Jeff just talked about how certain people have all this charisma. Well, they certainly do, and that's why they could sell you a snowball and a snowstorm. And that's the problem, is that they might have charisma, but their policies constantly lead us into an ever-spiraling, higher property tax situation, higher income tax, uh, more regulations for business. Uh, despite all the stuff they're saying about downtown, it's, it's a money pit. And that's where millions and millions of dollars are being poured into from the rest of the city. And it affects the city all across the boundaries. But there are candidates who are, who are running on that. I know there's yeah. a candidate in... Not in my Byron. riding. Well, no. That's, that's okay, the well, problem. But see? like in, uh, um, <laughs> in Ward 9, I guess it is, out in Byron, there's a candidate whose, whose campaign slogan is less spending, less taxes. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's another one uh, who's running for Board of Control whose who's, uh, signs have a... Uh, running for Board of Control is signed as a, a, a big dollar sign, some control... Uh, you know, it seems to me that his, I assume what he's meaning is that he wants to have more control over spending uh, at City Hall. So people are running on those things. But having said that, another problem with municipal politics uh, right off the bat is that uh, it's expensive to run for mayor, for instance. Unless you've got 100000 bucks, you're not going to get elected uh, in any normal times. And and political donations to municipal candidates are not tax deductible. So raising well, money is nothing stopping anybody from voting for uh, Ivan or Arthur Mayor or any of the other smaller candidates. That it's, oh, it's not the money, their name's on the ballot, go ahead and vote for them. Uh, it's just that people aren't going to do that. You know, we, we can scream all we want about the politicians, but my experience has been that the entrenchment is in the voter. There's a, there's a built-in magnetic polarity in there, and you see it between liberals and conservatives, no matter what Harper's doing, he just can't get his, his numbers up the way you'd think he would, especially with his performance, you know. Because you've got that built-in... with the liberals again. But you've always got that built-in, not liberal vote, but anti-conservative vote. And that's going to go to the liberals as long as the liberals are seen as the biggest hammer. As soon as another hammer comes along, that's where people will go who don't want to vote the other way. And that's the forces that are at play. Um, out of the average voter, how many votes for something? <laughs> One percent, maybe. Most people vote against because they're in terror. When you think of the history of politics, it came from a past going really far back now when we actually warred with each other in tribes and we tried to settle our differences of war instead of shooting at each other we'd shoot across the parliament parliamentary chairs and and then uh, uh, winner take all loser have to deal with the consequences now that wasn't a great improvement but it was an improvement now we have to go that next step to understand that the key to peace is not this constant warring between po politics and political parties and stuff, but uh, to, to let everybody do their own thing, so to speak, as long as they're not violating anybody else's rights. But we, everybody seems to think my opinion or, or, or the highway, and that's what politics is about. We have to pause for a moment or two. We're going to come back and talk about the Dilbert principle. Stay with us. <laughs> Jeff Summer, Bob Metz with us today. Uh, the... the 
Dilbert principle, or part of the book called the Dilbert principle, was the premise that Adams, the, the creator, has is that uh, it's, and, and I'm over, grossly oversimplifying this, but that it's smart people that have screwed everything up, that there's this tiny percentage of smart people, and they've created all these fancy rules and fancy knowledge and all of these things, and, and, and uh, they set us one against another, and that if we just get the smart people to shut up, that ordinary folks could probably, using some old-fashioned common sense, could solve most of the problems we have. Uh, how much of what goes wrong in politics do you think is is a result of the fact that there are some very smart people crafting policies and crafting strategies? I had lunch the other day with a with a, Pierre a, Trudeau. Well, yeah, I had lunch with a <laughs> with a prominent liberal, and boy, he just he had the liberal mantra down cold, and all of the you know all of the explanations and so on as to why their positions were correct on everything had it just 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 boom. Um, and I talked not all that long ago to a similarly placed person in the Conservative Party, and boy, he had it down. If you put those two guys together, you say, now how, do, how am I supposed to? One of one of you guys is either lying or doesn't understand what's going on, or you're both trying to fool me. And I don't know. I really, I don't know how the heck can I tell? Because they're they're intelligent guys working on premises that have been created by intelligent guys to perhaps impress people who aren't so intelligent. Is that a problem for us? Well. I think you can always tell a liar or a fool, <laughs> and I mean that lightly, because I think there's a lot of good-meaning people out there who actually believe this, that when somebody promises you something for nothing, they're fooling themselves, they're fooling you, they're fooling everybody else. All they're doing is robbing Peter to pay Paul, and any monkey in the jungle can do that. But if they don't, but they don't tell you that, the politicians. No, they don't. They you, tell you, I'm doing it for the poor, we need affordable housing, and they never tell you who's going to pay for it or how it's going to be paid for, and that's... That's the legislation bottom line. That's all that matters. It's coming out of your pocket. You're going to pay for it. Money won't go to where you want it to go. And therefore, your money is devalued right, right off the bat. Well, and I think that uh, when it comes to leading people, too, that there is a lot to be said for first principles and that uh, politicians, I think, do get too wrapped around uh, kind of over-analyzing things. I don't think anybody's going to solve the AIDS problem without being smart, and I don't think anybody can land a 747 without being smart. But when it comes to should you try and tell the truth whenever you can, should you try to be consistent and show integrity, should you take responsibility for your mistakes, those first principles, I think, are very straightforward. And there's uh, Robert Fulham, I think, who wrote a book called Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And I think for politicians, that would be a pretty good way to go. And uh, Michael Ignatieff, I think, is a bit of an example of this, where he's a, obviously a very smart guy, very knowledgeable, uh, all kinds of credentials and so on, but he seems to have gotten himself into a box on the very issue that should be his greatest strength, which is foreign policy. And that's, I, th- I think, has blown a huge hole in the middle of his campaign. If you, yeah. can't, if you can't maintain your ascendancy in the area of your expertise, you got to have problems. But again, like where he's the smartest, he's having the biggest trouble, and, and whether it's because, you know, you can't have the degree of nuance that he has in his mind on, on a mass media or whether he's just thinking about things and having too open a mind. Like, I, I suppose a, a, a professor with an open mind is willing to hear all things and change their mind if they are convinced. But as politicians, we, we don't like that. It, it's unsettling for us. And we'd like you to say, you know, decide where we're going and then let's get going. And uh, if, you, if you say you're going to take us in a direction I don't like, then I won't vote for you. But if you say you're going to do this one week and that the next week, that that again, is, is not usually effective leadership uh, because, again, we can't keep up with that as the average person. We don't know the details. Uh, so I think that that can be a problem. And, again, I think that uh, where people like Ronald Reagan have been very uh, successful as politicians, 
is by saying, I am no rocket scientist. All I know is that you should tell the truth. Or all I know is that, you know, a buck is a buck and it uh, should be well spent. But there's a, Reagan is a, a wonderful example, I think, of the confusion that reigns in the public mind. Ronald Reagan, depending on who you talk to, what book you read, was either a, a master politician, um, certainly a master communicator. Everybody agrees with that. Yes, but oh, yeah. he, he was either a master politician or he was a pawn. He was a dolt who was handed a script and said, here, read this. And you can find chapter and verse from prominent, well-educated, well-informed Americans on either side of that argument. If you're simply sitting there looking at, gee, what well, do I think of Ronald Reagan? You, what you do is you watch Ronald Reagan and you, and you decide. And I realize he was an adult the first time I saw him debate Jimmy Carter. He just, he just wiped him. But, you know, you're talking about this idea of, of smart people causing all the problems. When you said smart people, I was thinking right off the bat, university educated. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and there's almost a standing joke, you know, if, if you hire a university guy to do something, they're going to screw it up. They can't run the bus company. They can't run this or that because they get overly organized and aren't looking at the practicality. And there's a reason for that. Um, Partially, in, in politics, I think a good politician has to be a, 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 a tremendous generalist, has to be able to see the big picture. And people who go for higher, quote, education in, in, in the specialties get into specialized areas. And you'll find that people who are, whether it's in science or arts or in working with, uh, you know, social workers, like a social worker who's dealing with uh, battered women all day, will have a very myopic view of the universe and see all men as evil. And they bring that to the political arena with them. Um, you know, the university professor who's a Marxist, he's got what he's going to be teaching, even though it's been proven wrong over and over again. It's like teaching that gravity goes up, but it's still being done. And it's the same kind of thing. You get people in such a narrow scope of study that they extrapolate that to the whole universe. Uh, David Suzuki's been accused of doing that by the Fraser but a, Institute. But there's a but, problem There's a problem there, too, because uh, I'll give you an example. Somebody said to me some years ago, we were having a debate about politics, and said, you know, I don't understand why any rational society, uh, the, the, the politicians aren't all economists. I mean, that that's, seems to be the bottom line. It's all about the economy. It's all about money. It's all about the distribution of money, how to put money to work effectively, etc., etc. And I pointed out to him that the old joke somebody said, if you took all the economists in the world and laid them end to end, they still wouldn't reach a Conclusion. That's not true. That's absolutely not true. I know that's a joke, and it, it depends on what their politics are. They all agree in the laws of supply and demand. They all agree on the basic principles of economics. What they don't agree on is what the role of government is in that economic situation. And when government sticks its nose into economics, now see, I think economics should be uh, apart from the state for the same re- reason religion is. You should have a separation of the state and economics. They, they don't go together. But the problem is economists are dull. Uh, you, you need somebody who is charismatic to lead people. It would be like asking the uh, the class geek to be the class president. It's just not going to happen. I don't know. Milton you Friedman to, was never dull. You need to have economists working for you, but I agree with you about uh, the generalist thing. That uh, You're right. That uh, In order to rise through whatever your profession is, you become more and more specialized, and that requires taking a narrower and narrower view of things. I can't remember who it was who said that uh, the more the more uh, knowledgeable he came, the more and more expert he became on a narrower and narrower, narrower topic, so that eventually he knew everything there was to know about nothing at all. So, as a politician, I think you're right that you need to be a generalist. Yeah, I see and be that well all the time. In politics. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like talk show host. Too. <laughs> We're going to pause for a second. We're coming right back with more on Left, Right, and Center on 94.9 CHRW. Schlemmer and Metz and that other guy here today on Left, Right, and Center. Uh, we've been talking about politics and how to make it, uh, at least we began, how do we get more people involved. And I want to reiterate what I said earlier in response to Bob's question. I'm not interested in numbers of voters, but I'm very interested in quality of voters and informed voters. And if we could have more 
informed voters, I think that is a good thing. The idea of just let's get more people out, I, I don't have any uh, any truck with that at all. Don't you think the answer is really in getting more informed candidates so that voters could have a choice? No, I think I think, I think the failure today, I tell you what I think the look, failure look, today is. The three of us could be the, the most Bob. informed people no. in the world, and if all we've got to choose is to... Black holes. What are you going to do? But the failure is the media. <laughs> it absolutely is the media. And I know my colleagues in the media think I'm absolutely wrong about this, but I maintain that is the, that is the, the media is the problem. We do not present the kind of useful information for the most part that people need. I agree with you wholeheartedly we, the, on that. We don't have the resources to dig into these candidates. We don't have the resources to hold them accountable for the things they say. But the media is the pol- part of the political machine. Well, it is. You know, and it is, part, and that's one of the reasons why you don't see the kinds of changes that's that right. we need. Exactly. I mean, you look at, and Jeff alluded earlier to the free press cutbacks and so on. Uh, the radio stations, there are no reporters left at radio stations anymore, really. There's a couple here and there, but nobody that does any investigative stuff. It's all gone. The television there's hardly anything left in terms of investigative reporting at television. It's all responsive reporting. Something happens, what happened, and then we'll, we'll go and tell the folks. Well, this happened today, here and here and here. Instead of saying, you know, here's something you need to know. You need to know this. It might not be news. It may not have happened today, but you need to know this. And then you can take that information and go forward. How often do you see that anywhere in the media? I mean, that's what we... Not, not in the popular media. No. You're seeing it more on the Internet well, by, by dedicated people who go after things like that. But the that. problem with the Internet is it's not verifiable. Those people... People are not; they can't be held accountable in in a community like this. If I go on the air and say such and so, neither is and the newspaper, and Jim. I, well, I don't know what you're talking about. They're both equally verifiable. You can check the facts out. If something you you read anywhere doesn't bear out to a secondary, um, you know, source of information anywhere, you can pretty well write it off as being kooky. But if it if it bears out, um, I've seen a lot of big stories only come through the internet and other places that never made it to the front pages of the paper. And I'm thinking, why isn't that there? Well, that's a good you know? phenomenon. But I, I was very surprised with my my son is quite interested in watching CNN and particularly around Lebanon this summer. Every day he was watching what was happening there, and and we were talking a bit about it because I never watch CNN. I think, well, I don't need to see a picture of what happened. I want to read context and perspective. I want to know what experts are telling us about what this means. I want to know what the history. And to me, that is my touchstone. Of course, in my job, I cross examine people for a living, and I'm trying to figure out whether what they're telling us is the truth or not. So you look to previous statements they've made, you look to other statements and so on to try and suss that out. And to me, when you're just watching uh, a bulldozer flattening a house uh, uh, in Lebanon, it doesn't tell me anything about that. And, but my son thinks it's really good, and he says, well, this is the actual thing happening. How much more immediate and real can you get than that? And that's a perspective that people need to pay attention to, I think, because the kids are the ones who are going to be the voters of the future, and if they think it's important, we need to know why. But isn't that a dangerous perspective? But if they have it, we need to figure it out and hopefully well, educate it is them a, a bit about it. If it's the only thing, it's a healthy perspective to be aware of it. I think uh, well, it's better than watching The Simpsons. No, but you know, I think people, if they never see what's happening in the wars that they're sponsoring and paying for, uh, that there's a total disconnect and That's things true. can get even worse. I think That's a true. just war will bear up under a camera. And I think <laughs> it, well, it depends whose camera depends, it is. It's going to add that, that factor <laughs> yeah. too. Depends whose camera. Gentlemen, the band is playing in the background. I thank you both. The pleasure, as always. Thanks, Thanks Jim. Jim. Bob Metz and Jeff Schlimmer joining us today, as they do most Wednesdays on Left, Right, and Center. If, you if you've enjoyed this presentation, visit www.justrightmedia.org for more programming that's not right wing. It's just right.